Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 36 to 41. And though this is one of the shorter passages of Scripture that we'll be looking at or have recently, in just these few verses, I uh, have uh, four pages of notes. So, I'm not going to preach all four this morning, probably. All right, we'll see how time goes. But I'll probably continue this message this evening um, as we're going to come and have our, our annual business meeting, but we'll take some time to kind of look through this or else to review a couple of the items from the message this morning in our uh, afternoon service. Last week, we saw that Paul and Barnabas went back to Antioch with <coughs> Silas and Judas. You remember there was the question that these Judaizers had raised coming from the Jerusalem church up to Antioch without the authorization or probably even the knowledge of the Jerusalem church. And they came up to Antioch, which was made up of a great percentage of Gentile believers and said, unless you go through the ritual of circumcision to enter into the covenant of the ritual law of Moses, you can't be saved. You're not qualified to be saved until then. Well, Paul and Silas strongly debated and discussed that with these Judaizers and among the church. They immediately confronted this false doctrine. And so the church elected to send Paul and Barnabas along with a representative group down to the Jerusalem church. And the apostles and the elders discussed this matter. There were still some believing Pharisees within the Jerusalem church that agreed with the Judaizers that, yes, in order for a Gentile to be saved, they had to go through circumcision and thus enter into the covenant of the law. They discussed this and came out very clearly saying, no, that is not the case. As a matter of fact, James stands up, leader of the Jerusalem church, and he says, I, I, my counsel is that we write this letter and in them, and I'm paraphrasing now, that we tell these Gentile believers, abstain from the elements of idol worship and celebration. Live as a Christian that has been saved out or from that. And so they send these four men, two leaders from the Antioch church, Paul and Barnabas, and two leaders from the Jerusalem church, Saul uh, and Judas, and they come up. And so we saw one of the reasons they did that was to present a united front that this is, we are in agreement. The Jerusalem church, the Antioch church, the apostles have one gospel message. We cannot compromise the doctrinal purity of the gospel. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. It is not through works of righteousness which we have done. It's according to his mercy he saved us. When Jesus died on the cross, he declared it is finished. The payment was paid in full. The sacrifice was completed. And there is nothing that anybody can do to add to what Jesus did to earn eternal life. Jesus did it all. And so we see that there is unity. We see that the Gentiles rejoiced. Even in the letter, several times the word brethren is used to indicate that the Jerusalem church recognized the Gentile believers as already born again brothers in Christ. And when they gave the admonition in that letter to abstain from elements of idol worship through like cultural festivities and things like that or going to, uh, to a temple for idol worship, They've now been saved out of that. They're to live like Christians, not like idolaters. They received that with great joy and gladness. And there was unity within the church. And now here we see that Paul 
And, and Barnabas have a division among them. But you know, before we get into what Paul and Barnabas went through, sometimes there's these competing ministry passions. Um, and sometimes one Sunday school teacher is so excited and so passionate about their Sunday school class that, I mean, all bets are off. They're going to build their Sunday school class no matter what, and there can become a competition between Sunday school teachers. And sometimes there's a competition, you know, there's an emphasis on youth ministry or an emphasis on children's ministry or a real emphasis on local uh, gospel evangelism versus uh, missions evangelism around the world. And folks, none of these things ought to be competing. They all ought to be working together. But, there are, but, but believers have certain giftings and, and, and passions um, and that they are excited about in serving God and, and where they're going to put their energy and their time and, and even just in their perspective and ministry. And we can't allow those differences of perspective or those differences of, of the mission in, in emphasis or focus to cause there to be division among us. And so we're going to learn this morning from this, from Paul and Barnabas. Look with me, beginning in verse 36. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So look first of all with me at Paul's ministry focus. His ministry focus was the well-being of the churches. He says, hey, let's go back and let's go to these churches from the first missionary journey and let's see how they're doing. You know, we went back through after we went to all these churches and we saw people being saved and they began to be discipled. God would call us to another uh, region. We share the gospel. People would get saved. Church would be established. As a matter of fact, when we were done and started working our way back through to come back to Antioch, as we went along the way, we were appointing pastors, elders, spiritual leadership. We're getting that set up within every church. Well, let's go back and see how they're doing. Uh, let, let's go back and encourage them. Let's give them some further teaching. Uh, let's help them in their gospel efforts and see what we can do to further equip them to reach their particular communities with the gospel. I love the fact that Paul was never satisfied with what he had already done for Christ. He always wanted to do more. It's like C.T. Studd when he wrote, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And Paul had that same ministry vision. Listen, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm not satisfied with what I've done for Christ. I want to do more. And it came and it overflowed out of his personal fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for the brethren and his love for souls. And he said, hey, Barnabas, let's go back and let's do some more. Now, he already was busy in ministry there at Antioch. They were continuing to build the saints. And, and they had said, listen, we need to, first of all, we need to make sure that we don't compromise the, the doctrinal purity of the gospel. But we also need to teach wisely to maintain congregational unity. And they were doing ministry there. God given, remember, Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire in its day. Anywhere between half a million and three quarters of a million people. There was plenty of work. They could have stayed right there to do. But Paul still had a heart for those people that they had seen saved and, and, and believers that have grown. And he wanted to go back and minister. You know, this last week, Chris and I went over and we had some fellowship with the Bullocks. And... Uh, Brother Bullock said something to me. Now, you understand that they were missionaries for many years. 
serving the Lord in medical missions. He's 96 years old. And you know what he said to me? He said, Pastor Todd, if there's something I can do at Berean Baptist Church, if there's something you can find for me to do, I would love to do it because I just don't feel like I'm doing very much for the Lord. And I want to do more. And I'm thinking, wow, here's a guy 96 years old and his attitude is not, I've done my time, I've served the Lord, now let's let the younger people do it. He's 96 years old saying, bring it on. I may not be able to do what I used to do, but bring it on. I want to do something. I feel like I'm not doing enough for the Lord. I want to do more. And man, they are doing, he's writing pamphlets. They're actually writing a biography of their ministry life together. And it's amazing what they're still doing for the Lord. But you know, his heart was, he had the same spirit of Paul. I'm not satisfied in what I've done for the Lord. I want to do more. Not because I'm trying to earn merit with God, but because I love him and I want to serve him and I want to please him and I want to make this life count for eternity. What a spirit. But Paul's vision was to the ministry and the well-being of the churches and of the believers. He had a vision, yes, for individuals, but he also had a vision for the crowds. And he leaned towards, at least in this passage, look, let's go back to the churches and let's minister to the churches And Paul's mind was made up. He said, look, we cannot risk another failure at a crucial ministry moment that would at the very least hinder and at worst jeopardize our ministry to these churches. Look, John Mark failed to follow through when he went with us on the last mission trip. And I don't think he's proved himself yet. So I think it's too much of a risk. I disagree with us taking John Mark with us. Because he said, listen, we cannot jeopardize this crucial ministry to encourage these churches, to strengthen and further equip the pastors of these churches, to help these churches and come alongside them and encourage them by laboring with them to reach their communities with the gospel. And and maybe there's some church issues. There's some other things that are happening where we need to, to step in and help. And we can't risk at a crucial moment not having a faithful ministry partner Maybe he was thinking of Proverbs 25 and verse 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. But look at Barnabas' ministry focus. In verse 37, Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. He had a focus on the well-being of and the ministry of individual servants of Christ. We understand from Colossians 4.10 that John Mark was his cousin. But I believe that this, this was the character and the makeup of Barnabas. Barnabas, we know that was not his official name. That was not his birth name. His birth name was Joseph. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36, and Joseph, or Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. The apostles gave Barnabas this nickname, son of encouragement or son of consolation. His character was so very clearly revealed in his ministry of encouragement to brothers and sisters in Christ that the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, which is what we know him as. We don't know him by Joseph. We know him by Barnabas because that really encapsulated or described his ministry. And so he is thinking, listen, uh, I want to be an encouragement to John Mark. 
Stop and imagine this for a minute. Imagine what must have gone through John Mark's mind if he heard about this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And he's thinking, man, Paul is fighting for me to not go. I I failed him last time, and he's like, he's not reliable. You know what? Maybe he's right. Maybe I'm just a failure. Maybe I just certain serve God. Can you imagine how he must have felt? If he would have heard, and we don't know whether he heard that or not, very likely he did. And Barnabas says, listen, here is a young man who failed, but you know what? God is the God of the second chance. But look at Barnabas' character as we trace it through Scripture. In Acts 4, 37, the Bible says that he was a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He had personal property that he sold. He brought that money to the church of Jerusalem. This is right after Pentecost. Remember, Pentecost was one of the largest Jewish observances that was attended at Jerusalem by Jews throughout the dispersion. They would come, and so there were Jews from all over the known world at Jerusalem. The Holy Ghost comes upon the apostles. They preach the word of God. They are divinely enabled by the Holy Spirit to preach in other languages. And these other Jews hear the gospel being preached in their primary language, whatever they're country was and many of them are are coming to christ well now they they didn't they they couldn't work remotely right they they didn't have online jobs back then and so here they are away from home uh, without a source of income they want to stay they want to grow they want to learn so that then they can take the gospel back to their hometowns and villages and proclaim the gospel but they want to grow and they they're hungry for doctrine they're hungry for fellowship they want, to, they want to pray together and they want to listen to the teaching of the apostles. They want to serve the Lord with their brothers and sisters in Christ. But they, how are they going to afford that? They become in need. And Barnabas says, I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to support them. I'm going to enable them to stay and minister the gospel. So I'm just going to sell this piece of property and lay the money at the apostles' feet and they can distribute it to these brothers and sisters in Christ who need it so they can stay and they can be equipped and they can be encouraged. What a ministry Barnabas had to those who would go forth ministering the word. In Acts chapter 9, we trace this in verses 26 to 28. And when Saul, this is Paul, was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. Now remember that Saul had been the persecutor against the church. And they knew him well. And they thought this is just a cover story for him to come in, find out who we are, and then arrest a bunch of us. He'll betray this confidence once he kind of worms his way in. They didn't realize uh, his conversion and how he'd been proclaiming the gospel other places. And so he assayed himself to join to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple, but Barnabas took him. Brought him to the apostles, declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had... um, And that he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. He verified Saul's testimony. He put his own testimony, in a sense, on the line to vouch for Saul so that Saul could be introduced to the apostles so that Saul could be encouraged uh, and, and could be trained and could have fellowship and could have legitimate ministry among the church. Granted Saul access to the church. And then in Acts chapter 11... We remember, and we've already looked at, this, at all these passages, but in Acts chapter 11, the Jerusalem church hears how people were being saved, and Gentiles are being saved up in Antioch. And so the Bible says some of them 
those that shared the gospel in Antioch. They were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they had come to Antioch, spake to the Grecians preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, and that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. He was encouraging them. He was rejoicing in the grace of God. He was embracing the work that God was doing there and wanted to encourage it even further. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year uh, they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So he not only encouraged the Antioch church and invested and taught them and exhorted them in the Lord. But then he said, you know what? This, this thing is just growing so fast. There, I cannot minister to all the believers. I can't equip them for gospel ministry by myself. I need somebody. Hey, wait a minute. I remember Saul. Remember meeting him years ago at the Jerusalem church and encouraging him and, and how God has called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. What better place to start than here at Antioch? So he goes, he leaves a thriving ministry. Goes to search out Saul to bring Saul so that he and Saul can minister together to the church at Antioch. So Barnabas here was determined, yeah, John Mark messed up. Everybody messes up. God's going to use him someday because God is the God of the second chance. There were, second of all, though, or third, competing ministry priorities. And I want to make this statement. Competing ministry priorities shouldn't lead to conflict. Paul's priority was, look, these churches, these new churches that God used us to have a part in seeing souls saved, churches established, coming back through, spiritual leadership established, but these churches are still, in a sense, in a vulnerable place, and we want to encourage them, and the need is so great, and God is doing a great work. How can we help these churches? Look, we can't have a guy who abandoned us when the way got difficult. You remember that John Mark abandoned them in Pamphylia before they started heading up through the Taurus Mountains and through robber-infested territory. Remember that according to other passages in Scripture, we believe this is that Paul got sick probably with malaria. Pamphylia was a very swampy area. was known uh, People were known for getting uh, malaria there. It was a very common thing. And some of the ways that Paul alludes to that time period, we believe that Paul... Uh, had malaria, was very sick, and yet he's going to go on these Taurus mountains and up this very difficult journey. And when they really could have used John Mark's help the most, he abandons them. He goes, look, my mom and dad have a really nice place back in Jerusalem. I've got friends there. I've got home cooking. Yeah, I- I'm going home. This is too hard. And he left, and he went back to Jerusalem. And so... Paul's ministry philosophy says, no way, we can't jeopardize this. The ministry, it's too great. This is too important. But Barnabas says, look, everybody messes up. Believers need to be encouraged. Servants of the Lord need to be restored. God's going to do something great with John Mark someday. I believe it, and I'm going to invest in him. And we need to take him along to help him and to give him that chance and to encourage him. But third of all, competing ministry priorities shouldn't lead to conflict. You know, Paul and Barnabas were both right in their ministry priorities. 
but they were both wrong for allowing their disagreement to come to an angry conflict. Look, if you would, with me in verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between them. The contention was so sharp. That phrase is really contention so sharp as one word in the Greek. And it means a sharp disagreement. It's actually uh, a word for stirring up or provoking. And it's used to describe a high fever. In other words, tempers flared. Things got hot. They were angry. This was a sharp disagreement. You say, Paul and Barnabas, my spiritual, some of my spiritual heroes, these godly men, isn't it refreshing how candid the word of God is? That the word of God does not try to hide the faults and failures and foibles of the characters that we find within its pages. And there'll always be a lesson to us that man is imperfect. Even the best and godliest of men are still human and still have a sin nature. And that is no excuse. But it gives me hope that if God can use somebody like Paul and Barnabas, even when they messed up and had this sharp contention and disagreement, it does not justify my anger. It does not justify me being unkind in a disagreement with somebody else. Even if I am standing on the truth, if I'm doing it in an unkind way, if I'm getting in an angry, sharp, contentious manner, I, am, I may be standing for the right thing, but in the wrong way. And that is still sin. And there is a right way, and we'll look at that in handling this. But I am so encouraged to find that the Word of God does not try to mask or cover over the inconsistencies and the failures of even godly men. Paul and Barnabas allowed their ministry priorities to cause there to be such a sharp conflict that that was anger. The word uh, in the verb form literally means to provoke to wrath. Folks, this was far more than a casual difference of opinion. We think of the Bible admonition in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's called the what? The love chapter. Who did the Holy Spirit inspire to write? 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, of love, godly love. It does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily what? Same word here for sharp contention. Thinketh dumb evil. Unkind, angry, fleshly wrath is never excused by our holy God even when we are standing for the right cause. We are to speak the truth in love. Look also, though, there's another word that shows us that this was a sharp contention. Look back in verse 38, but... Uh, verse 39, the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder. It literally means to rend apart. This was not something done in a loving way. But you know, when, when, when there have been times in my life when I've been in disagreement, maybe it's just 
on a personal level with a brother in Christ or sister in Christ, or maybe it is more on a ministry level. There is a passage of scripture that has really helped me and some thoughts that have really helped me. And I am by no means saying that I have this down pat or perfectly. This is always every one of us needs to be on our guard because wherefore let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. For pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. However, in Romans chapter 14, verse 4 and verse 12, the Bible says this. It asks this question in Romans 14 and verse 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. And then verse 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So let me kind of distill this for you into a practical thought pattern that God has worked in my heart in this. I am in no position to judge another one of God's servants. God is omniscient. He knows their heart better than I do. You know, he knows their heart better than they do, let alone better than I do. They're going to give an accounting for the God, to God for the way that they handle this situation and their response. And I'm going to give an account to God for how I handle the situation and my response. Romans 14, then in verse 19, admonishes us, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, finally, brethren, farewell, be ye perfect, be of good part of comfort, be of one mind, live in peace. And the God, peace shall be with you. You know, sometimes God's servants do need to separate but it can be done in love. When you stop and think about this, Barnabas takes John Mark. We're going to look in a few minutes at the impact in Barnabas' ministry through the life of John Mark and how God used John Mark because Barnabas invested in him. We don't see Barnabas and John Mark traced through the rest of the book of Acts. We do see how God used Paul and Silas. You see, God in his omniscience, God in his sovereignty, his plans, and this is another point that I'm going to give, our, our failures cannot thwart God's plans. And so we don't excuse our sin. Well, you know, it doesn't matter what I'm going to do. God's going to get the glory anyway. And No, 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 no. But isn't it a comfort to know that God's grace can sovereignly overcome our failures and accomplish his eternal plan. God used these two teams to do a great work. Barnabas and John Mark went to Cyprus. Barnabas was originally from Cyprus. There were churches that had been planted. The gospel had been preached. There was still more work to do on that island. So Barnabas <laughs> is doing ministry with John Mark, and he's training John Mark, and he's encouraging John Mark. And so it's not only an investment in John Mark, it's an investment in the spiritual well-being of the people on the island of Cyprus. And Paul takes with him Silas, who also, by the way, we find this out in the next chapter, Acts 16, had Roman citizenship, which really fit in perfectly with some of the things that Paul and Silas faced together in the rest of their ministry journey together. And Paul and Silas will see how God used them as such an incredible team for the, in the ministry. So what did God do? God, God separated these two men into teams that could accomplish more separately than they did together. 
And it's not that Paul was wrong in his ministry focus or Barnabas was wrong in his ministry focus. They were both right in their ministry focus. They were wrong because of the sharp contention in the way that they handled it. Praise God, they were reconciled. And we rejoice in our forgiving God and our brothers and sisters who are willing to forgive one another, to humble themselves and seek that forgiveness and to be restored. But as Matthew Henry points out, there's a lot of collateral damage that happens when there's a sharp contention between Christians because the world sees it. Weak Christian brethren who may be immature in the faith see it. And it can shake their trust in the truth that we are trying to proclaim. So this bears great consequences, but praise God that he is sovereign above and beyond the failures of men. And God can use us in spite of those failures. And God's sovereign plan is not thwarted by my, God's sovereign plan is not thwarted by my failures. You know, I mentioned this a little while ago, what it must have been like for John Mark to understand that Paul was campaigning against John Mark going on the second missionary journey with him. And now that Barnabas said, no, I need to encourage John Mark. God's the God of the second chances. John Mark failed, but that doesn't mean that God is finished with him. You know, there's a great ministry that each of us can have in reaching out and inviting other believers who either have quit, they have become unfaithful. They used to attend Sunday morning. I mean, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They served in some capacity in the ministry. They were on fire for God. And then something happened. Maybe something even like COVID. Where people who used to come now only stay at home and watch a service on live stream. Or brothers and sisters in Christ to get their nose out of joint. to get their feelings hurt. Or there is some contention or some disagreement that is not reconciled. And so they say, no, I'm not going back. I got a problem with that person. And they rob themselves of the fellowship of the saints and the edification of the saints and the ministry of the word of God. And they limit themselves and their ability to, to minister through a local church. Can say, I'm not going to church. I'm not going back there. And they quit. They failed. They become unfaithful. John Mark didn't ask to go on the second missionary journey. Remember, Barnabas insisted, this is a good idea. We need to take John Mark. I am determined I'm not coming off of that stance. And may God give some of us a holy determination, not that any of us are perfect and totally faithful, but for those of us who are trying by the grace of God in our heart is to walk with him, to serve him, to be faithful, to serve the Lord at Berean Baptist Church and beyond the boundaries of Berean Baptist Church but that we would have a heart to go after some people like a John Mark who's been a quitter that considers themselves a failure and be a son or a daughter of consolation to encourage them and to invite them to join us in ministry, to engage them in some Christian fellowship again instead of judging them as just a quitter or a failure. But I'm also talking to some people maybe by way of live stream or maybe even here this morning. And you say, you know what, Pastor Todd, I've really blown it in my life. I just can't serve God because I quit 
I failed. I was unfaithful. I've messed up. And Satan is getting you to believe a lie that you are damaged goods. Folks, let me tell you something. We are all damaged goods. And God uses broken vessels, not perfect ones, because none of us are perfect. We don't excuse sin. We are to be holy as God is holy. We are to pursue that holiness because we love him and we want to be like him and because he commands it. But we understand that we have our failures and our, I mean, for crying out loud, even Paul and Barnabas had their failure. Look at the sharp contention. Look at this anger. Look at this being rent asunder from one another. These guys who had shared in all of the dangers of ministry that had seen churches planted together that had helped establish leadership together. They've had made some discernment decisions together. They faced hardships and travel together. They faced persecution together. They even stood for the doctrinal purity of the gospel together. And yet, they allowed the sharp contention. But you know what? You say, well, I've allowed stuff like that in my life too. And just like John Mark, and just like Paul and Barnabas, when we acknowledge our sin before the Lord, and we repent, and we believe that God will restore us and that God can use us, then we can get busy serving God. You say, you know what? I don't have as much to offer to the Lord as I used to. You know what? God will take what you have left if we just give it to him and he will use it in an incredible way. If God will accept the widow mites from a poor widow lady because it was an act of love and faith in worship, God will take your widow mites he will take what you have left and he will use it for his glory and he will bless your life and you can have fulfillment in serving him. Let me list a number of the ways and then what we're going to talk about tonight. I'm going to save the last point for tonight. Here, I'll give you a preview. The last point is God can reconcile Christian brothers. We're going to talk about reconciling as Christian brothers and sisters tonight. But I want to close off this point and this message this morning with listing some ways that God used John Mark. I want you to see how God used Barnabas in the life of John Mark. Mark served Peter and wrote the Gospel of Mark. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, or 15, 5, excuse me, in verse 13, the church that is Babylon, elect together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. That's John Mark. Marcus, John Mark was a ministry partner with Peter, and he records that in eternal scripture. Mark served and encouraged Paul. Philemon, verses 23 and 24. There salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. John Mark was part of the team that is sending greeting through the writing of the apostle Paul to Philemon. He is a faithful team member serving God. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 11, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Do thy diligence to come to me shortly. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Crescens is to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Now those guys weren't abandoning him. They were going to ministry. God had called them to that ministry. He says here, only Luke is with me. And then he says this, take Mark, John Mark, same young man. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. 
And so we see evidence even there in that statement that God reconciled Paul and Barnabas and I believe in John Mark because God is able for us to be reconciled to one another. So, it could be this morning that there are some here watching by way of live stream that have allowed your ministry focus, your priorities, what you emphasize, or even your giftings to cause you to push so hard that when there is another competing ministry passion that you allow it to cause conflict. Would you recognize that this morning and ask God to forgive you for that heart attitude? And if you need to go back to somebody and ask their forgiveness as a brother or sister in Christ to do that, and to ask God to motivate you by the love of Christ to handle those disagreements in a way that is pleasing to him. It wasn't wrong that Paul and Barnabas separated. God multiplied their impact by separating them. It was the way they separated that was displeasing to him. And sometimes godly folks disagree. And God will use that to even further the spread of his kingdom. But we must always treat one another with love. John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you take a mean old stand for the truth. Is that what the Bible says? That's the sign? I stand strong on this, brother. No. By this shall let me know you, my disciples, if ye have love one for another. That's how the world knows that we're the real deal. Yeah, we take stands. Yes, sometimes we have disagreements. Sometimes good men part ways over ministry philosophy differences, and that's okay. Let's just do it the right way. And if you've had to make that choice before, but you have unfinished business behind you, would you make it right with God? Would you make it right with that person so that you, with a conscience void of offense towards God and man, can move forward in your service? And for some of you, let me encourage you. God, stir in your heart. You need to be a Barnabas. You need to be a son or a daughter of encouragement and go after somebody that's become discouraged. Maybe they failed. Maybe they've quit. Maybe they've become unfaithful. And you need to, in love, go after them and show them love and encourage them and invite you to join you in walking with the Lord and in faithful service. Or maybe you need to be encouraged yourself. Folks, while there is breath in your lungs and you have a heartbeat and you've got cognitive thinking ability. God has a mission for you and God's not done with you. If God were done with you, you'd be in heaven already. Your mission is not accomplished. Therefore, do not be defeated any longer by past failures, but be encouraged that God will restore you and he will strengthen and equip you and he will use you in a way that will impact eternity for his glory. And you will be thankful someday when you stand before him and give him a personal account of your life that you responded to the truth that he's working in your heart today. And be encouraged. If God used John Mark, if God used Barnabas to, use John, to, to, to help restore John Mark, think how God can use you in the life of someone else. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, tonight we're going to look at the fact that 
you can work in hearts to reconcile brothers, and you did with Paul and Barnabas. Lord, may we, with Christian love, when we hear of brothers or sisters in Christ or of other ministries that are pugnacious in their attitude, vitriolic, unkind, abrasive, Lord, may, may we treat them with great love and understanding, remembering there are times when we have had the same attitudes and we've needed your grace. And Lord, would you, through your Holy Spirit, reveal to us where we've been wrong, that we may confess it and make it right with you, and then go to that brother or sister in Christ and make it right with them. And Lord, some are, are, are just tempted because of their passion for a certain ministry or sphere of ministry to be so loyal and protective to that ministry that we forget that it's not about that avenue of ministry that you've given to us. We are serving you. It's for your glory. It's part of your eternal plan. May we not get so wrapped up in our spheres of ministry and responsibility and plans and, and ministry visions that when something competes with that or threatens it in any way, that we become ungodly. Lord, for those who are discouraged because of failures or because they've become unfaithful, Lord, raise them up again and use us to encourage one another uh, and to walk alongside each other in your strength, by your grace, equip us in that way. It could be, Lord, there's some here today that have never received eternal life by calling out to you, Lord Jesus, to confess themselves a sinner and cannot save themselves, would believe that you love them and died on the cross and rose again for them because you know them and you love them and you offer them forgiveness and eternal life and they've not yet called on you and receive that gift. Oh Lord, would you shine the light of truth in their understanding today that they may turn from their sin and their self-reliance and turn only to Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross as being sufficient for their salvation. May they trust in you today. And we pray that you would receive the glory now in Jesus' name. We're not gonna have a come forward invitation. Just keep your heads bound while our pianist in a moment plays. You can remain seated. But just because you're seated with your heads bowed doesn't mean that you should be inactive. Or would you pray? As God searched your heart, you may say, well, you know what? As far as I know, I, I, I am not perfect, but I am walking with God the best I can. There's nothing specific that God moved in my heart about today and any of those things that I need to immediately respond to. Well, if that's your case as a brother or sister in Christ, would, can I encourage you just to pray and say, Lord, you know those who have quit and those who are discouraged those who've become unfaithful. And Lord, would you encourage them and help them today? And Lord, if you would allow me the privilege of, of reaching out to somebody, lay that person on my heart, open up the opportunity for me to reach out to them. And Lord, for your glory, by your grace, somehow use me to encourage them and invest in them like Barnabas did in John Mark. If you don't know the way of salvation, would you just pray and say, Lord, would you show me your way of salvation? Make it clear so I can understand. Give me the courage even to talk to somebody after the service this morning who can take the word of God and show me. I'll be back at the connection point. You can come back and see me. I'd be glad to sit down with my Bible and show you how you can trust Christ. If you're a lady, my wife, Krista, could take her Bible and sit down with you and show you the way of salvation. Or you can talk to the person maybe who invited you here today and they can take the word of God and show you. But please, don't leave here today until you've settled the matter of where your soul is going to spend eternity. And Christian, 
Don't leave here today until you've made things right with God and have committed to make things right with others as God has worked in your heart. As our pianist begins to play our hymn of invitation, just a stanza, would you right now be doing business with God?